Hi, I'm Pastor Brady, and welcome to the Five Forks Student Ministries podcast. The Christmas story is one that we're all pretty familiar with. The Virgin Mary giving birth to the baby Jesus in the little town of Bethlehem. We celebrate it annually as a reminder of God's great love for us in the sending of his only son. But what if I told you that this whole story had actually been planned out for hundreds and hundreds of years before it even happened? Well, let's talk about that a little bit more in our two-week series called Christmas Prophecies. begin our lesson. And so, yeah, there's a reason I wanted to start off by playing that little game there of I called it, because we are starting a new series called Christmas Prophecies. Christmas Prophecies. We're going to be talking a lot about predictions and what you think is going to happen next. And so as we kind of get this whole uh, series, this two-week mini-series started off, quick question, what is a prophecy? What is a prophecy? Anyone know what a prophecy is? Jude, what is a prophecy? When something is foretold. That is actually a perfect uh, description of it. And so I'm going to read, this is like a very, like, this is like the big word answer for this one, but I thought it was pretty profound, um, and so I wanted to read it for you all. And so it says, a prophecy or prediction in the Bible, is defined like this. It's defined as a miracle of knowledge. I thought that was a really cool phrase for it. It's a declaration or description, a representation of something future, something foretold. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of kind of big words there, but essentially it's all about someone calling it. So for example, during that game that we played earlier, if I was playing along with you all, I would have won all five rounds easy peasy, because, well, I, I, made the, I made the video. I knew what was going to happen. So that's kind of what we're going to see here with these Christmas prophecies. We're going to see this Christmas story is something that has been long foretold before it even happened. And it's really, really fascinating. As I was reading through this, it was just, it's like your mind is going to be blown as you just really look at just how in-depth everything was planned out from the start. So I'm really excited for this, and we're going to look into uh, some of the specifics talking about these prophecies mentioned in the Old Testament that ended up becoming fulfilled in the New Testament. And so we're going to play a little game of higher or lower. How many messianic prophecies do you think there were in the Old Testament? In other words, how many prophecies do you think there were in the Old Testament that were foretelling this Messiah, this Savior that was going to come what he was going to do, how he was going to arrive, and so on and so forth. How many prophecies do you think there are in the Old Testament, Tony? Three. It is higher than three. Great guess. Colt? Higher than ten. Colin? Higher than 57. Nadine? It is over 300. Kenzie? Lower than 351. Will Stein? Lower than, wait, I got to, yes, lower than 332. It means he's close. I've had to double check. Miriam. 25. Lower than 325. Dalton. Higher than 317. Lucas. 
Higher than 323. Zach? 400. Lower than 400. 324. It was indeed 324, but, but think about that for a second. Like that's, that's an insanely high number, right? Throughout the Old Testament, there are 324 messianic prophecies that are foretelling the Messiah that is going to come and be the Savior of the world. 324, like that's a lot. And so as I was, you know, kind of pondering this number, I was like, okay, those who would have like been living during the time of the Old Testament, but the New Testament hadn't happened yet, what would have been going through their minds? Like, what have, what have, like, would have been like the likelihood of someone actually coming to earth to fulfill all of these prophecies? And so I was kind of thinking through that, and turns out I'm not the only one who actually wondered that question before, because there's this mathematician named Peter Stoner, and what he did is he took not all 324, but he only took a small amount, 48 of those 324 messianic prophecies, and he did, you know, mathematician stuff, and he pretty much said, what is the odds, what is the likelihood of someone actually fulfilling just 48 of these messianic prophecies? And what he determined is that it is just a 1 in 10 to the 157th power, which is... 1 in 10 with the 157 zeros after that. In other words, impossible. <laughs> like, he determined, and that's just 48 of the 324. He said, just doing that, like, the odds of that happening, it's literally impossible. And so it's, it's mind-boggling that we're going to be finding out, what we're going to be talking about over these next couple of, well, today and next week, is just how God had this all planned out from the start. And it's really, really cool. Like, this wasn't just some random act. The Christmas story isn't just some random story. Jesus is not just some random person. Mary and Joseph, they're not just some random people. Like, this was all planned out from the start. And Jesus, he is the prophesied Messiah who came to save and redeem the world. And it's really, really cool. So you might be sitting here wondering, okay, Brady, well, what are some of these 324 Messianic prophecies you're talking about? Well, Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive into them. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of tonight and for the rest of the series next week. We're just going to be looking at some of these individual messianic prophecies and we're going to see how they were fulfilled. We're going to look at what we can learn from them and how God showed us who he is through these messianic prophecies. It's really, really cool. So let's start with this first one. And this is perhaps the most famous of the messianic prophecies. This one is found in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And so quick question. How many years do you think the book of Isaiah took place before the birth of Jesus? Will Stein. What was it? It was right around 700. 700 to 750. That is right on. Isaiah was written about 750 years before Jesus would have been born. So I was kind of like trying to get an idea of like, okay, how long is 750 years? Like, what, what would that look like? And so I, I did a little Google search and I just said, what, is, what was like the newest invention 750 years ago? Anyone want to take a guess what the newest invention was 750 years ago from today? 
Dalton, what do you think it was? What? Now, shoes were around. Shoes were around by that point, at least. Tony? Cavemen. Uh, they, they, got, they were a little bit beyond caveman 750 years ago. Kenzie, what do you think? They would have had ink by that point. They would, they, would have, they would have had ink. I will say, I actually see some of this, some people using this invention right now. I see a couple people using this invention right now. Say, hats? Not hats. I'll give uh, one more guess. Miriam? Not cups? Okay, now I'm just curious. Zach, what do you think? Chairs. Not chairs. They had invented chairs by that point. Lucas, what do you think? Cars? Yeah, that was, uh, you're, a bit, you're, a bit, you're a bit early there. Yeah, all right. So there's, there's two inventions that I'm seeing. One I'm looking at right now. The first mechanical clock. The first mechanical clock was invented about 750 years ago. The, the second, like, and that was like the biggest invention was like the mechanical clock. And the second was eyeglasses. That was like the peak. Yeah, it's too, too dark to see, too dark to see. But it was glasses, like that was like the peak of inventions at that time. Glasses and mechanical clock. Like that was the best of the best. And now I just want you to think like now, like I wear contacts, so I don't wear glasses. I literally put a flimsy little thing and I just put it directly on my eyeball and it helps me see. Like that's how far we've come technology with that. Like you all, if I said, can you check the time for me right now? None of you are gonna look at that clock. You're all going to pull out your phones or your Apple watches, these digital, you know, versions of clocks. Like, we have gone so far beyond. We mentioned things like cars. That was not even an idea 750 years ago. And so as I was thinking, like, 750 years is a long, long, long time. And so it's really cool to see the book of Isaiah being written 750 years before these events in the Christmas story would have taken place. Hey guys, I don't know what we're doing back here, but this is really cool stuff that I want you to catch. So the book of Isaiah written 750 years before the birth of Jesus. I want you to read, uh, read along with me here because this is really, really cool um, what we're going to read. This is Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to read verses uh, 13 and 14 where it says, Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So you've probably heard verse 14. You've probably heard that verse quoted quite a lot around Christmas time. Again, it's one of the most you know, popular you know, uh, messianic prophecies that's uh, quoted around Christmas time. But I want to break it down here for a moment. So verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. That's a pretty bold sign for the Lord to give. And I don't think I need to go into like health class, birds and the bees. Like I don't need to go into that for you all to learn how babies are made. But what Isaiah is saying here does not make sense. That is impossible. 
It is not supposed to happen this way. But we know who he's talking about, though. Now we do. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Not talking about Jesus, but we're talking about the mother of Jesus, which is whom? Mary. Mary, that's exactly right. We're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's pretty cool. And so it writes that she will get pregnant and give birth to a son, but she's not to name him. It doesn't say Jesus in this verse. It says she will call him what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, exactly. And what do you think that means? What does Emmanuel mean? Immunity. Not quite immunity. What else? What do you, what do you think? Anyone know? That is exactly right. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Good catch. And so, what do you think God with us means? That was kind of a trick question. It's pretty, there's not really, a, it's pretty cut and dry what God with us means. It just means God is going to be with us. God is coming down to earth to be with his people. He's coming down to teach them, to save them. He is here. That is God with us, Emmanuel. And so I just want you to think about how amazing this is. As we read, uh, as we read that verse there in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, because what we're reading there, those things happened, and it's not just some coincidence, right? Like God the Father knew that he was going to be sending his son down to earth, and he was going to be born of a virgin. But on top of that, he went down to the finest details of making sure that son had a clear name, Emmanuel. And even that name that he had was, had a specific purpose for what the son was going to do on earth. He was coming down on earth to be with us, to come and save us. And so it's just incredible. We see God has things planned out to the finest and tiniest of details. And this is just one of the key takeaways we're going to get from these Christmas prophecies we're going to see how God with his infinite power, God with his infinite knowledge, we're going to see how he has these things planned out to the finest of details, things that seem impossible, he makes possible. It's awesome. But now I want to take a moment here. We're going to jump 750 years into the future from Isaiah, and we're going to read just exactly how this happened to play out. What exactly happened on that Christmas day during this Christmas story 750 years later. And so we actually get the chance to read that in Matthew, starting at chapter 1, verse 18. So let me read this here, and let's see if you can start catching some of these similarities from what Isaiah said to what Matthew explained happened. So this is what Matthew says. He says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And the angel concludes by saying this, and I think this is really cool. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Right on. Like, my, like, when I read that, it's just like, it's so cool just to see it all come together. Like you see it full circle. You see the beginning of it all, and then you see how it came to an end. You see this prophecy that was made 750 years ago, and you see how it was fulfilled. Like it is just mind-blowing. Like I, I just thought it was so cool as we look through these, and as we go through more of these, I think you're just going to feel the same way, where your mind is just going to be blown as you just look at how this just isn't some coincidence. But I will say, as we read through this, I noticed something that seemed a little bit off. Did anyone else happen to notice it? It's in verse 21 right here. I noticed something off. I'm curious if anyone else caught it. Dalton? The name. Yeah. Because according to the angel in Joseph's dream, he's to name him Jesus. But as the angel then quoted Isaiah later on, says Emmanuel. So I saw that and I was like, Okay, that's, that seems off. Like, shouldn't he be named Emmanuel? Why, why is, you know, why Jesus, Emmanuel, what, what does this mean? And so as I looked into this, I found that, well, the cool thing about the Hebrew language is that there are meanings behind the names. So, for example, Emmanuel means God with us. And I found out that the name Jesus doesn't just mean Jesus. Like there's a meaning behind the name Jesus. What do you think it is? Colin? Well, that's like kind of, that was like Jesus' title. He was the king of the Jews that they put like on the, on the plaque whenever he was on the cross. But No, it does not mean teacher. Lucas, what do you think? Kind of right in line with that. It does, in a sense, mean Emmanuel, and that's what we're going to get into here. You kind of, uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a good answer. But the interesting thing is that Jesus, the name Jesus in Hebrew, means God saves. God saves. That is what Jesus means. Any of you know that before? Any of you know that that's, that was the meaning behind Jesus' name? God saves? pretty incredible. And so let me ask you, how did Jesus save? How does Jesus save? How, what did he do to save us? Colin? He died on the cross. And how did he die on the cross? By coming down to earth to be with us. God with us to save us. Emmanuel and Jesus, like they, they mean the same thing. And so, Lucas, you were kind of right on with that. And so I just it's so cool that we see this and just that both of these names are true and they both have this specific purpose to what Jesus did as he saved us and Emmanuel come down to earth to be with us. I just thought it was so, so awesome. And so as we read through this, as we notice these Christmas prophecies, you're going to realize like this isn't just some coincidence through this. Like, this isn't some coincidence. This isn't luck. This isn't just happenstance or anything. Like, this, this is God that we see this. 
Like this didn't just happen. As you saw the odds of just 48 of those 324 Messianic prophecies, that does not just happen on a whim. No, this is God. And it's just so cool to me how we see God had things planned out to the finest and smallest of details. And so I'm excited next week, we're going to dive into a couple more of these examples. But before we, I break you off into small groups, I really just wanted to spend the last few minutes of tonight's lesson to just take a moment to talk about what's the big takeaway? What's the big takeaway with all this? What can we learn from these prophecies such as this one found in Isaiah? What can we learn from this? And if you ask me, the big takeaway that we can get from this is that God has a plan. God has a plan, and He is going to come through with that plan. He is going to come through on the promises that He makes. Like, if you're going to take away anything as we look into these Christmas prophecies, that's it right there. It's that God has a plan, and He has a promise, and He always comes through on that. And so what are some of those promises? What are some of the things that God promises to us? Well, the first thing is this. He loves you. God loves you. If there's anything you need to know about what God promises us, it's of his love for you. Like there's a reason that we sing, well, what is one of the most popular children's songs in church? What's like one of the first ones you learned? Jesus loves me, this I know. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's in the hymnal. I'm like, I'm like 90% sure it's in the hymnal. Uh-huh. There's several verses, some of which I did not know actually existed until I read them in the hymnal. But there's a reason why one of the first songs we learned as kids is Jesus loves me. Because that is one of the core promises that God has for us, is that he loves us. And what's an example of that? Well, I think Paul gave a great example of it in Romans 5, verse 8. Because Paul said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason for Jesus coming down to earth is right there in his name. He came down to save us. I think it's so cool. I mean, Jesus meaning God saves. Because that's exactly what he came to do. And the reason he came to do it is because he loves you so, so much. And so I don't know, some of you, you might just be really struggling with right now with things that are just happening around in your world, things tough at home, things tough with school, tough with a job. And I just want you to be reminded of this simple truth, this promise that God gives us is that he loves you so, so much. And we can find comfort in that. We can find peace in that. He loves us. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came down to earth, to save us and sacrifice himself on that old, rugged cross. So that's the first promise. The second promise is this. He's coming back. He's coming back. Now, the interesting thing about this promise is that it hasn't happened yet. 
And so this one's really interesting because as we look through uh, this, this past Christmas prophecy there in, in Isaiah chapter 7, we saw it be fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, right? Like we saw the beginning of that prophecy and then we saw the end. We saw how it was fulfilled. But for this specific prophecy that we read, whenever Jesus says this in Revelation uh, chapter 22 verse 7, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. I am coming back soon. But it hasn't happened yet. And so right now we're in that waiting period. So the big thing that we now as followers of Jesus, as Christians, the thing that we have to wrestle with now is, do I believe this? Like this is where you really put your faith to the test. And this is why I think going over these Christmas prophecies is so important. Because I can tell you that some of those people who would have been living during that 750-year time span between Isaiah and Matthew, some of those who would have gotten Isaiah's prophecy but would have died before it was fulfilled, I'm sure their faith was put to the test if they really thought a Messiah was going to come. And the thing is, it may not happen during your life or mine. It could still be another 2,000, 10,000, 100,000 years. No one knows except for the Father. But the thing is, we have faith that He will come through on His promises. We've seen Him do it time and time and time and time again. And now this is where we kind of put our money where our mouth is. We put our faith to the test and be like, do I really believe this? Do I believe that He is coming back one day? And this is the second thing that He promises us. And we're challenged with this one. The final thing that I want to go over with in terms of the promise that God gives us is that the promise is you have a role in all this. You have a clear role. Just as we saw with Jesus' name, it was a clear role for Jesus as our Messiah, as the Savior. He came to save. But the cool part is each and every one of you in this room, you also have a clear role in all of this. Tony, you have a clear role in all of this. Zach, you have a clear role. Miriam, you have a clear role. Reese, you have a clear role. All of us, we have our role in this huge plan that God has and this promise that he has for us. And you might be wondering, okay, well, what is my role? Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you, before this lesson series, our pastor one going over the Sermon on the Mount, that's it right there. You want to know what your role is? It's right there. And so that's why I wanted to go over it so in-depth. Because our role is to love God and to love others. Live out that Jesus creed that we talked about. Your role is to be patient with one another. Your role is to do everything in the name of the Lord and to not do it on your own. Your role is to pray. Your role is to worship. Not just goof off while songs are being sung. We can have some fun. We can laugh and joke as we're singing. But your role is to worship and be glad in the Lord. That is part of your role. Part of your role is to give to those in need. I think each and every one of us in this room, we got a lot. We have been given a lot. So part of your role is to giving to those in need. That is part of your role. And the last part is to spread this good news that we have been given. 
And so my challenge for you is I see a lot of space in these chapel pews. And I look back, I see a couple blank rows. There's no one in any of these rows. You know what your role is? It's to go to your schools, go to your sports teams, go to your jobs. And it's to spread this good news with people in those places. I can't just go to your school and start spreading this news. That's on you all. That's on you all. That is your role that you have been given. And so I'm challenging you, and I know I I do it often, but part of your role is to go and start spreading the news. That is part of the role you've been given. And I think it's so cool that we are a part of the promise that God has. He has given us this clear role, this uh, part of this amazing plan. And so I just want to encourage you, don't be bashful about your faith. Like, live it out passionately. Like, I just think it's, it's so crazy where I'm, I'm big into sports and I watch on TV and I see these fans that will just paint their face all crazy stuff. Like, there are people that are like in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that were at a game shirtless where there it's like below freezing temperatures. But they're doing like they're painting their chest. They're wearing these cheese heads. They are looking like complete fools out there cheering for a team that has a losing record and is not doing well. But they're doing it because they are passionate about it. They are not bashful about that. And I just thought like, what if Christians were that passionate about their faith? Like what if we were so passionate where we were just like, look, I don't care if people think that I am a, look like a total crazy person. That does not matter to me. Because what does matter is that I am worshiping my Lord. That's what matters. So live it out passionately. Live out your role boldly. Be a proud follower of Jesus. Be proud to be a follower of the one who saves. The one who loves us. The one who's coming back. And so we want to live that out boldly and proudly this Christmas season. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this, uh, this really fun night, just uh, having a lot of fun together as a group, joking around, singing together, dancing together, just being crazy. It is just so much fun uh, getting to, to be a part of this. And so, Lord, it is just my prayer tonight that those of us in this room Let us be proud to be one of your followers. Let us not be bashful. Let's live it out in a way that others will know there is something different about them, and that's because they're a follower of you. Let us live it out well. Let us be distinguishable as followers of Jesus. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or you can check out our website, ffbic.org students.